Judges chapter 11 tonight. Judges chapter 11. Does anyone know all the judges after the two we added last week? Can anybody just name the two we added last week? Tola and Jair. Listen, you're going to look smart if you memorize these. So it's not always about you know helping you be a better Christian and know more Bible. Sometimes it's about looking smart. And... Um, Say so that's about pride. Well, maybe, but it is nice to look smart sometimes, isn't it? Well, let's go ahead and try to say them all together. We're going to go ahead and add add one. I'm only having fun with you. Don't don't get full of pride. But again, the more of these things you learn, the better. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, but we're going to add the name Jephthah. Jephthah is another one we're going to look at tonight. So let's say them all together: Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, Jair, Jephthah. So. With all those other names, hopefully you know something about them. Hopefully you remember the stories about them. You know what they're all about. Tola and Jair, I get it. We don't know much about these guys. Uh, we just know that they defended Israel uh, for a total of 45 years, uh, roughly between the two of them. But the Bible does not give the specifics on those stories. But um, before we get into chapter 11, uh, I want us to go back a few verses in chapter 10 just to kind of remind us where we left off last week and it says and they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel so remember God had told Israel I will deliver you no more if you want help you go to those other gods that you've been worshiping I'm done delivering you but God his soul was grieved when God saw Israel suffering God felt bad for them and God in his mercy changed his mind, God repented, and God ends up, and God in chapter 11 is going to deliver them again. And it says, And the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people and princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So, right here in chapter 10, this isn't, uh, 100% chronological what we're about to see in chapter 11 because here in chapter 10 where we're at, we're seeing where there's specifically a problem in Gilead and they need somebody to fight for them in this area. And so now we are in chapter 11 and it's going to give us a little bit of a backstory on Jephthah who God ends up raising up to deliver the children of Israel. And so it says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. So, uh, the son of a harlot. Notice how it mentions that about him. And, you know, the son of a harlot is not someone that people are typically going to respect. But you know what? We're going to see God is still going to use Jephthah because great works are not about the man. Great works are about the God of those men. And God is going to do a great work through Jephthah. But it mentions this fact about him being the son of a harlot. I think one, because again, uh, I, I do think it's a picture of grace and, and how God can use people. We see a lot of people that God... Does anybody know a famous son of a harlot? Uh, that's a famous Bible story that you all know who his mother was a harlot. How about Boaz? Boaz, his mother was Rahab, uh, Rahab the harlot. So, and this is just kind of another side note, but when you look at the story of uh, Ruth, 
that happened during the time of the judges. Uh, you know, probably actually before this story that we're looking at right here. So just kind of an interesting uh, side note. I don't know exactly where in the period of judges it would have happened, but it would have been during that time era. And the Bible just kind of gives us this beautiful story that uh, is a picture of that kinsman redeemer. Uh, I'm not preaching about Ruth tonight, but he uh, Boaz was the son of a harlot. And Boaz was somebody too who was in the line of Christ. The king of Israel would descend from Boaz. The Messiah would descend from Boaz and would descend from Rahab the harlot. So, uh, just an amazing story there. But it says in verse 2, And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren, and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah, and went out with him. So, Jephthah is rejected by his own brethren. They thrust him out of the house because he was the son of a strange woman. Now, I'm gonna, you know, I don't believe that these guys were doing this in just this righteous indignation against harlots and against illegitimate children. I think they were just being selfish and they didn't want to share their inheritance with them. But, and, and we're gonna see that later because all of a sudden when they have need, who are they gonna call? They're gonna call Jephthah. But, I want to point out a few things here in the story that's very interesting because the last judge that we looked at besides uh, Tola and Jair was Abimelech. And we're going to see a lot of similarities. Okay, So remember Abimelech, he was one of 71, of, seven, of 70 sons, but he was also the son uh, of a concubine. Okay, That's not as bad as the son of a harlot, but it's, it's still bad. And he was somebody who we don't see his brethren rejecting him, but we see Abimelech separating from his brethren because he's trying to advance himself. So there's, we're going to see a lot of similarities between Abimelech and Jephthah, but we're going to see Abimelech, he was, he had a completely different attitude than Jephthah. Abimelech was somebody who separated himself hoping he could rise to power. Where Jephthah, he just gets ran off and then his brothers come looking for him is what we're going to see. But uh, Abimelech, so he also, um, you know, we see that he intentionally, he intentionally went after vain and light men. We saw that. We talked about Je or, uh, Abimelech and his flying monkeys. He went and just got, uh, you know, worthless or, you know, just useful idiots, I guess you could say, to follow him because that's all that we're going to follow somebody like him. He was not somebody who got his position legitimately. And so... Uh, it says, though, about uh, Jephthah, though, I keep wanting to get these guys' names mixed up. If I say it wrong, y'all know what I meant. But Jephthah, he, did, he just ends up having vain men follow after him. Now, you know, it's not really a horrible thing if you have a sorry group of people follow you as long as they don't stay sorry. You know, it's okay if we have sorry people start coming to this church as long as they don't stay sorry. You know, as long as there is some improvement. You know, David. David was somebody who had a rough group that followed him originally. In 1 Samuel 22, 1, says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down to the to him. This is when he was on the run from Saul, while Saul was still king. And it says, And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there, there were with him about 400 men. 
So notice these guys that originally followed David, this was probably a rough crowd. These were outcasts. These were discontented people. These were guys who were in debt. But you know what? I can't tell you this for sure. The Bible doesn't spell it out. But I wouldn't be surprised if out of these 400 men are where David's 40 mighty men came from that the Bible talks about. You know, whenever these guys got around David, you know what? They became closer to God. They become great men. They became great warriors. And we read about some of the great things that David's mighty men did. And these were guys that were not nobility. These weren't, you know, you had like Uriah the Hittite. You know, the Hittite. You know, the Hittites, they, they weren't even of Israel. But he was somebody that followed David. And he's mentioned as one of David's mighty men when it names them. So David, when he got, when, when bad people came around him, he turned them into good people. Where guys like Abimelech, you know, he did. He just wanted to use these guys' rottenness for his own benefit. And so Jephthah, he's got vain men that are following after him, but I don't believe he was targeting these guys. They just saw Jephthah as another outcast, and so they were attracted to him. Doesn't mean they stayed that way because Jephthah used these men that were following him to do a great work and to deliver Israel. So, uh, you know, th these are important things to keep in mind. I hope as a church, we always go after the outcasts. I hope we always bring in, you know, the sorry, no good so-and-sos that nobody cares about as long as they don't stay that way. As long as we introduce them to Jesus and we encourage them to follow the Holy Spirit and we lift them up and we help them become great men of God and without a doubt, that can happen. What we don't want to happen is for people to start coming to this church and become worse Christians. That's the worst thing that could happen in a church. And hopefully that would never happen. But there's some places where that probably would happen. So in verse 4, it says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me, and expel me out of my father's house? And why are ye come unto me now, when ye are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us, and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so according to thy words. So notice, unlike in the story of Abimelech, who is seeking opportunity for himself and getting it in dirty ways, you know, we see... That here in this story, the men of Gilead, they clearly saw that Jephthah was the obvious choice to be a leader. And so, the, but the truth is, I believe what they did before, when they weren't having any problems, I think, I think it's clear from the context and what we see that took place, that it was obvious that Jephthah was a mighty man, that Jephthah was a great man, and so they felt threatened by him. Because he obviously was going to outdo these guys, outrank them, and so they didn't want to share their inheritance with them. But then, whenever they got in a situation where they were in trouble, whenever they were in danger, they knew if anybody could get them out of that mess, it was Jephthah. So, without a doubt, 
it was selfish reasons that caused these men to drive Jephthah away in the first place. But Jephthah, you know what? Thankfully, he didn't get bitter. He didn't just cry about it. You know, he kept on being a mighty man of valor. He kept on doing the right thing. And then you know what? Eventually, God exalted him. And the, when these men were in trouble, when the people of Gilead were in trouble, they went to Jephthah. And then he ends up uh, getting them to agree that he will be the head if they, uh, if, if he delivered them. And so in verse 11, it says, Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from Arnon even unto Jabbok and unto Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands again peaceably. Now this is interesting here too. This is, this is one of these things that, you know, if we want to be a little nerdy about stuff in the Bible, uh, I, I think it's, it's pretty interesting. But uh, it just goes to show how land disputes, they never really go away, do they? They're still fighting about it, you know, between the Israelis and the Palestinians. You know, there aren't any um, Canaanites left. Otherwise, they'd be like, we were actually here first. <laughs> but, you know, and it's the same thing today in America. You know, you've got the, the Native Americans, you know, saying, you know, this land actually belongs to us. And, you know, people still want to fight about it, even though it's been over 200 years. Can't, you know, can't we claim it by now? But it's just like... You know, at the end of the day, you know, who really decides all these things? And you know who decides? To the victors go the spoils. And so the thing is, what's happened now is uh, there was... Um, and we're about to see Jephthah give a little bit of a history lesson as to what actually went down with this land because the children of Ammon are accusing them of stealing the land when they came out of Egypt. And so there is, there's a, there's a dispute about what the history actually is. And so Jephthah here is about to give him a history lesson that I think is interesting. And so it says, And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness under the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto, and in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent, and Israel abode in Kadesh. And you could read about that story when they were doing the Exodus. They just wanted to come through. They asked permission. They wouldn't let him. God got angry at these nations for their treatment of Israel. They should have been a help to them because this land too, God understood, you know, hey, I, I'm not giving you the land of the Edomites. I'm not giving you the land of these other people, but they did need to pass through there. And it was wrong of these people to, you know, not be hospitable towards God's people. And so he's reminding them about this event that would have taken place. And it says, then they went along through the wilderness encompassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and came by the east side of the land of Moab, and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon, and the king of Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, 
through thy land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast. But Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all the people into the hand of Israel and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coasts of the Amorites from Arnon even unto Jabbok and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel and shouldst thou possess it? So what... Jephthah is basically doing here is he's showing, no, actually that land that Israel possessed, it was the Amorites land at that time. And it wasn't, it wasn't the Ammonites that had it. It was the Amorites that had it. And the Amorites, when they went against Israel, when they stood against Israel, when they wanted to pass by, God delivered them into their hand. And they, and it's like, we possess the land from the Amorites. And so since we were the ones that defeated them, why should you get the land is basically what he's saying. So, again, this is just basically him giving uh, his history. And typically when that kind of thing goes, you know, the Jews have their history. The Muslims have their history. You know, the, uh, you know, the Americans have their history. The Native Americans have their history. You know, we all go with the history that we like. And then we usually have a fight. And whoever wins gets what they want. That's typically the way things go historically. I've, I, I've not yet seen anybody go and read a history book and like, well, good night. We did steal this land. All right, folks, let's leave. No, typically they fight and whoever wins gets a land. So uh, people ask all the time, you know, by the time, who do you think deserves a land over in Palestine today? You know, the Jews, and the, whoever wins, uh, who, whoever wins. That's typically the way that stuff goes. And uh, I'm, I'm not interested in getting in that fight. And I'm also not interested when, you know, we won the battle and possessed the land and just all of a sudden feeling guilty 200 years later and giving it back. You know, so... Um, again, you know, that's another subject for another day, but it's just interesting. These have his, historically, it's always been disputes and the causes of wars and things. So now in verse 24, he says, wilt thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? So whomsoever the Lord, our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. And now art thou anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns and in Aurora and her towns and in all the cities that be along by the coast of Arnon 300 years, why therefore did ye not recover them within that time? Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. So he's like, listen, we haven't done anything wrong. You know, we're going to let the Lord judge this situation. And so he says, How be it the king of the children of Ammon hearken not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. So I, I, we heard what you had to say. We don't believe it. We've got our own historians. And, uh, you know, our historians wrote what we want. And again, remember, the winner of the battle too always writes the history books too. Okay, now... We know that Jephthah was right about his history because we can find his history in the Word of God. Okay? And, so, and, you know, and sometimes you have one that's right and one that's wrong. Sometimes you have both being wrong. In this situation, we do have one being right, the other one being wrong. But always remember that in history, the victor writes a story. And that's an important thing to remember. 
But these, the children of Ammon, they weren't interested in the facts of history. They decided they were going to take the land. So let's pay very close attention to this next passage because, you know, it's, it's always important that we make sure any passage of the Bible that we read, that we're reading it correctly. And in other words, there are passages that are prophetic. But even prophetic passages are not always just predicting history. Sometimes they are giving instructions and saying what will happen if you obey or what will happen if you disobey. It's not necessarily saying all of these things are definitely 100% without a doubt going to happen this way. It's contingent on what they do, on the choices they make, whether they repent, whether they obey, whatever. Sometimes in stories, you know, or sometimes we have writings that are just giving instruction. You know, we have the law where it's telling you this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. You know, we do, we have, uh, you know, teaching that is written down, trying to describe, but some things are just historical facts. Some things are just telling us what happened. These are not stories that we should go to and pattern our lives after. We should learn lessons from them, but we see a lot of horrible stories in the book of Judges. And we are going to continue as we go through the rest of the book of Judges to see some awful stories some shameful stories. And I think this is a, a very sad story that we're about to see. We're, we, we're going to see some good things happening here, but within this story of a victory, we're going to see a very sad story. And, and so let's go ahead and read this and make sure uh, we don't get caught up in any weird, goofy interpretations here. So notice what it says in verse 29. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah and Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, I will submit to you that I think that this vow of Jephthah, one, was unnecessary. I don't think he needed to make a vow. Uh, also, too, I think this was just kind of a foolish vow if it's something that could potentially cause a human sacrifice, which is not something that God ever called for and God ever wanted. The only time God ever called for a human sacrifice was in Abraham and Isaac, and God stopped that one. And the only other time was when he... he commanded human sacrifice, basically Jesus, to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. That's it. That's it. So there, there's no way to make a human sacrifice an appropriate thing. But understand, this is a dark time in Israel's history. We are seeing all kinds of really bad junk going on within even the judges. We saw the idolatry in Gideon's house. We saw Gideon how he had many wives, which was not a good thing. And people will see these stories. You know, it can't be that bad to have many wives. I mean, Gideon was a great man. And look at all the wives he had. But look at what happened with his family. All of his sons were killed by the one son that was a concubine, except for the one that escaped. That's a horrible story. That's a, that's a terrible ending. This was a shameful time in Israel's history. This was a dark time. The book of Judges is constantly showing us the results of Israel not wholly following the Lord. 
and understand to teach us how much we need a Savior, to show us how much we need the Holy Spirit of God, to show us how much we need the Lord, God gave Israel a long period of history where He did give them a law, but God would also allow them to, all right, here's my law. Here's a holy law. Let's see what you all can do with it. And God gave them hundreds of years. God gave them... God wanted judges to rule over them and not kings. They had four, four or five hundred years of a time with judges ruling over things, but you know what? They did not do well with it. And you know why the time of judges went so bad? Because they didn't follow the law of God. And we should never go to these stories and then it's like, you know what? I'm going to make a vow like that. You know, and potentially sacrifice one of my kids. No. Absolutely not. You shouldn't do something like that. This just shows how backwards they were during this time and just how dark things were in Israel. And so I think this was a, this was a really bad idea. I don't think he should have made a vow like this. But people get confused because, too, we see, well, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. He made this vow when the Spirit of the Lord was on him. But hang on, time out for a second. Because... When we're used to seeing when the Spirit of the Lord coming on people, like in the New Testament. And we talked about this the other day. When the Holy Spirit came on the believers in the New Testament, one of the things that He did is He gave understanding of the Scriptures. And so again, God expects a lot more from us today than He did from people back then. We have the completed Scriptures and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So we should do better than guys like Jephthah and Gideon. For sure. But not only that, uh, whenever the Spirit of God comes on somebody, especially in the Old Testament, it's not always for the same thing for the same purpose. We do know that when they wrote the Old Testament, they wrote as the Holy Ghost moved them to write. And so the things that they wrote in the Old Testament were 100% of God, were 100% accurate. They were the Word of God because the Holy Ghost came upon them and moved them to write the things that God wanted them to write. But... We also see many times, and we especially see this in the book of Judges, the Spirit of God coming on people to give them strength, to give them, uh, to help them deliver the people of Israel in military battles. And so when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, it wasn't giving him this ability to just speak the words of God and to give scripture and things like that. No, it was to give him strength and might so he could win battles. And we see the, the same thing take place with Othniel. It mentioned how the Spirit of God was on him. That's how he was able to win the battle. We're going to see it also with Samson. Samson's great. You know why Samson was so strong? You know, he's always portrayed as this big muscular guy, and I'm sure he didn't look like a wimp. But at the same time, his strength that he had was something people didn't understand where that strength was coming from. But the Bible tells us where that strength came from. It came from the Spirit of the Lord. And so we see the same thing too with Saul and David. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'm just showing you this to show Jephthah had the Spirit of the Lord, but it didn't necessarily make him super smart, but it did make him very mighty. And it did make him very able in battle so he could win a military victory, which he would go do and win a military victory. But it's, it's the same thing we see in 1 Samuel 16, 12. It says, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. 
So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So did Saul lose his salvation there? No, but you know what he did lose? He lost the power of God. He lost that special anointing that God gave him as a king. And so these kings, they were, they were special. They did have a special strength that God gave them. And I believe God gave that to David and I, and, and if I may insert my opinion, all right, opinion alert, okay? opinion alert. I don't think it's a coincidence that after we see the spirit of the Lord come upon David from that day forward. So something changed about David in chapter 16 when the spirit of the Lord came upon him. I believe it was what, similar to what we see with Samson, what we see with Othniel, what we see with Jephthah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in the very next chapter, in chapter 17, we see David defeating Goliath. How was he able to do that? Was he just that good with the sling and a stone? I'm sure he was good with the sling and a stone. Even before that, but I believe it was because he had that special anointing of God on him and that's how he was able to defeat Goliath. And David gave all glory to God for it. And if I may also insert another opinion, in chapter 17, we see David uh, tell Saul about how he knew God was going to deliver that giant because God also delivered him uh, from a lion and a bear that he killed with his own hands. Folks, a normal guy doesn't kill a lion and a bear with his bare hands. But David did. And you know, and so, you know, it's, it's my opinion also that him, that uh, killing of the lion and bear probably happened in between 1 Samuel 16 and 17. Because it said the Spirit of the Lord was on him from that day forward. Somewhere in there, he had that interaction with the lion and bear. God probably showing him that, hey, I've given you my spirit. Because David probably like, man, how did I do that? And he knew how he did it. He knew it was God that did it. And so David knew, I can take Goliath. Because he knew God was with him. So I, that, that's, you know, the Bible does not spell that out. But I believe that David killed the lion and the bear after the anointing. Because he did. He had the spirit of the Lord was on him. And it did. It gave him strength. And it gave him might. And all the battles these guys fought, I mean, it is. And, and they were kings. And they weren't like presidents who hide in bunkers and aren't actually in the battle. No, these guys were in the battles. And they fought and they, they got their swords bloody. And David fought a lot of battles. How did he never get killed in any of those things? He almost did later on in his life. You know, later on too, when he was kind of getting back slid on God and he almost got killed. And that's when they told him, you're not going to fight with us anymore. And then it was after that at a time when kings go forth to battle, he's hanging out at home and then commits adultery with Bathsheba. But again, I, I don't want to get sidetracked on that too much. But I just I say all that to show that the spirit of the Lord coming on Jephthah was something that was giving him strength and might. It doesn't mean now that everything's coming out of his mouth is of God. I believe this was a foolish vow that he was making. This was not like a movement of the Holy Spirit like we see in the New Testament that helped men of God ha, uh, have clarity when it came to the scriptures. And because the, the Holy Spirit did bring an understanding to the Old Testament that even the prophets didn't have. The prophets did not, the, that wrote their prophecies did not understand their prophecies like we do today. Why is that? Because they wrote what God told them to write, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. And, the, and so they weren't able to understand the things like we can. So 
Well, it's easy to look back at the story of Jephthah and just kind of shake our heads a little. Let's just understand and remember they didn't have what we have. Okay? Where would we be without the Word of God? Okay? Look at Just look at where our country's going as our country gets away from the things of God. Okay? We are seeing our, I mean, our country, we've got sodomite marriage, we've got drag shows, going on in libraries, being promoted in front of children. You know, they do these things for children. And we're terrible people for thinking that's sick, perverted, and disgusting. Think, think about that. What's happening? We're getting away from the Word of God. And, so, and, and, and this is happening in a country where we have churches all over, where we have Bibles everywhere. What do we think would happen in a time when all they had was the first five books of the Old Testament and nobody's reading it. What do we think is going to happen when you don't have Spirit-filled people all over? People that are indwelt with the Holy Ghost of God. What do we expect is going to happen? So we, it, does, it just shows how carnal some people are when they'll look back at these stories and use it to justify sin in their life. No, we should look at these stories and thank God for what we have today and we should be disgusted with ourselves that we're as bad off as we are. It shouldn't be this bad. It really shouldn't. But these things, these stories are a reminder of just how sick, twisted, and betrayed or depraved people can become. I don't know if you all remember, uh, but uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself on Judges, but Judges 19. Okay? We're all familiar with the horrifying story that we see in Judges 19 that was like a wake-up call for Israel, when they realized what had taken place in their country, it was like a wake-up call for that nation. Like, hey, we're in bad shape spiritually. Well, I was thinking, remember when, uh, I think it was when Biden, uh, I don't know if it was, it was during the presidential election or when they overturned Roe versus Wade, but I remember there was all that story too about like that young, I forgot, like 12-year-old girl that got pregnant. And everyone was talking like what a tragedy that this 12-year-old can't get an abortion. And it's, they're talking about it all over the news. People were wondering if that was a real story and all that kind of stuff. I remember just thinking the whole time, what is wrong with our country that that's happening to a 12-year-old girl? Why is nobody asking, who's the dude so we can go throw that guy in a wood chipper or something like that? Why is nobody talking about that? We ought to be freaking out that something like that happened in our country. But no, what is everybody worried about? How I can't believe she can't kill the baby. I mean, I, th- that blew my mind that our country is that sick and twisted that nobody's even asking who the guy is. Our co- when, when our country hears about something like that, I mean, I, I don't believe in lynching, but I believe that the country should be lynching somebody like that. Once it's found out and it's proved that he did it, we should not waste any time. We have got to get that guy to stop breathing our oxygen as fast as possible. No mercy, but nobody nobody even talked about that. You know, with that being a national story, I mean, I'm sure if we you know, had the money to put towards it, I'd have donated money for an investigation on that. Hey, yeah, hey, if you promise when you find that dude... We will end his life as fast as possible. I will gladly donate towards uh, that investigation. But our country, it wasn't even worth it. Just what a tragedy. She can't kill her baby. What, what a sick 
country we live in. That's what, and so we shouldn't be surprised by these stories in the Bible. They were away from God during this time. But what we're seeing too, though, is while God is upset with them, while God got to a point where He's like, I'm going to deliver you no more, God still was merciful. God was loving towards Israel. God preserved them as a people because God had to preserve them as a people till that seed should come. Otherwise, there's no hope for humanity. God preserved this mess of a people. And people will say, just because the Jews are so great. No. No, it's because God loved us and the Messiah was going to come from them. And the Messiah and the Messiah did come, not because of Israel, but because of God's providence, because of His divine intervention, because of His mercy. He, God spared Israel. God did not let them be utterly destroyed for our sakes. And because the Messiah came from them. After, once the Messiah came, it's not about them anymore. We, we need to stop giving credit <laughs> to the ones that are still here today for the Messiah and for the Scriptures and all that stuff. No, that's, that's not how that works. So, uh, verse 34 says, Then Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dance, and she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord and I cannot go back. So remember, the Bible is just telling us what happened. These stories, just the fact they're in the Bible, it's not God putting His stamp of approval on these things. Judges is full of horrible stories that are written in the same way where it's just telling us what happened. It's not saying whether it's right or wrong. And so to think God would be pleased with him sacrificing his daughter, that's a very foolish thing. And when he said, I can't go back, why? Because God won't let you? Or is it your pride saying that I can't go back on this? I'll look bad in front of all the men that have finally made me leader. I don't know that that's what it was. But again, God does not want human sacrifice. God is not pleased with that. And if he made that vow, that was just a foolish thing to do. So verse 36, And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for these of my, thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And, you know, and this just shows what kind of heart this young woman had, that she was willing to let her dad do this. But you know, what a tragedy that Israel was so backward and ignorant that they were, you know, they were watching a father sacrifice his daughter and the daughter is willing to let it happen. That's, how, that's just how backwards they were. This is another result of Israel not following the Lord. This should never have happened. And this is also too, you, know, you can say, well, he made a vow. It's a sin if he doesn't keep it. Yeah, but it's also a sin to sacrifice a human. So the thing is, either way, he's going to sin. And you know, so it would be like me. Well, you know what? You know, I know it's wrong to rob a bank, but I made a vow that I'll rob a bank. Listen, you shouldn't make a vow that you're going to rob a bank. So, if I make a vow that I'm going to go rob a bank, you know, and then you talk me out of it, well, I sin for breaking my vow. But if I go through with it, I sin for stealing. You don't make a vow that you're going to do something that's wrong. Otherwise, either way, you sin. And so, it's just that the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 4, and I know this wasn't written yet, but it says, When thou vowest a vow unto the Lord, unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. 
Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in a multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. So understand, Jephthah didn't have to make a vow, but you know what? His mouth caused his flesh to sin. And understand that, yes, if you do, if you go making vows, you ought to go through with those things. And when you don't go through with those things, you've sinned. But if you make a vow to sin, you're going to sin either way. You're going to sin if you follow, if you follow through and commit the sin. And if you don't, you're going to sin for breaking the vow. Don't be a fool. Don't do that kind of thing. And notice too, so I don't think it's right for you to think that, you know, it was just Jephthah being proud following through on that vow. I think it just shows what a man of conviction he was. But it says here too, in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers vanities. Again, maybe this was about just, uh, he didn't want to look bad. You know, so either way, you shouldn't ever sacrifice people. It's always been like pagans and heathen cultures that sacrifice humans. That is not something we ought to do. And so this is one of the stories in the book of Judges, I believe was written, like I said earlier in the series, to basically, um, you know, chronicle all the sins of Israel. I believe when this book was written, the children of Israel probably looked back in shame and horror that this happened with a leader in their history. And, and so look at what it says in verse 37. Because you know, I do believe God was gracious back then. God understood their ignorance they had, but understand even when they were ignorant about certain things, wrong was always wrong. And there were, there was always consequences. So it says, and she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity. I and my fellows. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. So, so that's, they were so backwards during that time that, I mean, after Jephthah did this very backwards and barbaric thing, I mean, it was just a custom to commemorate that event and just go more than that. I mean, just, this is just a, a, a bad story. And it is. It's one that Israel, I, I'm sure, you know, even during some of the Old Testament time later on, because they did, they did go through some periods of time where they had revival. They went through periods of time where they had some good leaders and they started following the Word of God more. And I'm sure there are many times in their history where they look back at that story and are like, wow, what a mess. Now, this is important that you get this too. Because, you know, when it comes to someone who is great, thankfully, it isn't just about one good or bad moment. It's an overall picture. And you know what? The same thing goes for the history of a nation. Well, I think it's okay, too, to say that America has a great history. It's also true to say we've got some stuff we should be ashamed of, too. I mean, while God has done a lot of great things in our country, while our country has been blessed in very many ways, are there not things that we look back and we're just, we're embarrassed by? You know, and, uh, and so it's like that in any nation. 
They go through times. And so you have people today that are still wanting to condemn America, you know, because we used to have slavery, you know, because of segregation, you know, because of all the things that we're all embarrassed by now, you know. And, and you know what? I mean, it's okay if we want to be embarrassed that we used to have, uh, you know, fountains for the white, you know, water fountains for the white people and different ones for the colored people and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's fine to be embarrassed by that, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that overall we've been a great nation and overall this country has done an awful lot to help colored people, you know, but it doesn't mean that there's not been some things we, we can be ashamed of. And you know what? You could say the same thing for Baptist history. We have, we have great history overall, but have there not been some shameful moments? Have there, have there not been some shameful individuals throughout Baptist history? Are there not some people that we can look back at and like, yeah, I don't know how they snuck in. It's like that in any history. You know, and, and we all have that in our own personal history. Or overall, you know, God is using you. You've grown. God's blessed. But we've all got times that we can look back in our history. It's like, I hope if anybody ever writes about me, they leave that part out. We've all, everybody has that kind of thing. And, you know, even us as an individual church, you know, there, there might be times someday when we look back at some of the stuff we used to do in the church. Maybe some of the things we used to preach and you're like, ah, you know, that, that was dumb. You know, and we need to, we just need to understand we're all flawed. The only thing that we can really count on, the only thing that has ever been consistent, the only thing that we can really truly be proud of is God. That's it. God, He's He's what we should really be paying attention to. God's history is wonderful history. God has never failed. God has always been holy. God's always been righteous. God's always been gracious and merciful. And God always provides hope no matter how bad we mess up. You know what we're reminded of when we look at this story, when we look at this period of Israel's history, is that man stinks. But you know what? God is great. And God uses sinful, flawed men to do His work. And how is He able to do that? Well, we understand today He's able to do that because of grace. We understand He was able to do that because He blotted out those handwriting of ordinances that was against us and He nailed those things to His cross. And so here we are, a group of people that any of us can take the Bible and find something to nail each other's eyes to the wall with. But yet, God still uses us. We're still able to go out. We're able to get people saved. We're, able, we're, we're even able with all our mistakes to have good marriages and raise good kids and just uh, be, be happy people. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what He did for us. Because of His grace. And so, what we should do is, you know, we don't... I'm not against learning history. I'm not against studying Baptist history, church history, American history. You know, I think it's it's okay to do that and to learn from those things. But you know, we got to be careful. You know, always glorying in those things. You know, you've got people too that are always trying to revise history to make America always great and everything, or even revising church history to just make you know Baptist perfect. And everything. No, you know, even Baptists, you know, there's stuff that we can go back and look at, and there's groups out there and been time periods where, you know, they're embarrassed. I hope, I hope, and I, I, I believe if the Lord tarries is coming, one of these days, historians are going to look back at Baptists in the, in the 20th and 21st century, and it's like, man, there was a period of time where Baptists, they really got messed up on that dispensational theology stuff. You know, but thankfully, a reformation eventually came. 
and they threw that junk out. You know, I, I hope that happens in our history. But you know what? If that happens someday, or we do have a reformation in the Baptist world, and people re- you know look back on this time was like, man, they, there was Baptist teaching multiple ways of salvation, multiple gospels, you know, two raptures, you know, and they'll just like look back at that and scoff that. But you know what? That won't be a reason to throw out everything in the Baptist world. Doesn't change the fact that a lot of dispensational Baptists got a lot of people saved over the years and have done some good things. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, history, that's nothing we should really take pride in. We should always just rejoice in God and His faithfulness. And, our, and all of our flaws that we can find in all our history, all it does is it just proves the faithfulness of God and that He deserves glory for all good things, not us. And so with that, let's pray to your Lord. Uh, thank you so much for this story uh, in your word and the lessons that we can learn from it. And Lord, I pray that we will, uh, you know, Lord, not make foolish vows, but we'll uh, you know, just follow uh, your leading in all things. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to uh, always do our best to serve you no matter where we fail and all of our shortcomings. Help us just remember it's all about you and about your work. And I pray, Lord, in spite of all our our uh, flaws and failures, you'll still use us uh, to build your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.